Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. gentlemen we made it we finally finally made it seven days later for episode two i know everyone has been waiting with such impatience you know for the 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 follow-up to the introduction of puck and roll uh patrick lorty here be your gracious host and we have a quite the show today a little controversial may i even add now uh i am very glad to present my distinguished panels of guests elias Larati, our insider is here sebastian high scott cowan Joshua Rosa as well. Maria Buabdu, unfortunately, not with us today. Here in spirit, of course, we're going to say hello to Maria. Hope you're having a good one. Now, I am not going to mess around. I am going to be very, very direct. I am going to call out our insider, as a matter of fact, Mr. Elias. How are you today? Good yourself? I am very good. Now, the reason why uh, I am challenging you today, sir, to this duel, along with the rest of the panel that I'm sure are going to be jumping over the board, creating havoc, and a general fight will probably ensue, is that we were having a conversation off air, and you made a declaration, and you mentioned that, and you actually meant this. This is, this is what is, is a little whack about this whole situation. You mean this. You are predicting that next season, the 21-22 season, the Montreal Canadiens will not make the playoffs. Now, I heard that properly, right? You, this is what you said, your own words. The Canadiens will not make the playoffs. What are you smoking? Where can I get some? And is it legal? That's actually a great question. Um, no, it's not. And uh, <laughs> they lost Phil Deneau, who was their number one center. I just don't, I feel even though they have a lot of depth, it's a lot of fourth line, fourth line depth that I feel won't be able to come to the challenge. Again, you're in the Atlantic. It's an 82 game season. You have Austin Matthews. You have Brady Kachuk. You have Tampa Bay. You have Florida who's coming up. You know, you have all these amazing teams. And I just don't feel that Montreal has it. Yeah, but let me, let, let me interfere right, right, right off the bat. Now, you mentioned Toronto. We beat Toronto. Okay, like unless unless like you know my, my like I'm living in a in another dimension, we beat Toronto in the first lap. Yeah, but that was because you know? even though was doing a great job shutting down Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and all. Yeah, that. but here here comes here comes the million. Well, actually, the five point five million dollar question, pun intended, is Phil Deneau a first line center? In my opinion, I don't think he is. I mean, he's an excellent defensive forward. He 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 is you know maybe a notch under the elite status along you know, the Patrice Bergeron's of this world and, you know, and Barkoff in Florida as well. But, I mean, he's not in, he's not an elite player just yet. This is not a guy you could say, okay, you know what, 25 minutes a game, it's all yours. You're going to go on the power play, you're going to go on the PK, you could do everything, and he's going to give you 30 goals, 80 points a year. That's not going to happen, man. I mean, that's not Phil Deneau. No, I definitely agree. Phil Deneau is your typical defensive Center guy, I agree with what you said. In Montreal, he was first line. If you put him anywhere else, he's maybe second, third line. I agree with that 100%. But I just felt that he helped Montreal a lot. And there's those are big shoes that, we, that I have to fill. And right now, like I said, on the depth chart, it's Nick Suzuki as your first line center. And that's going to be pretty, I think that's going to be pretty intimidating. Imagine going from 
a second line, going to a first line, going up against the top lines in the league, you know, going almost playing against like almost, I think, 31 teams, you know, it's going to be a super, super tough ask. Now, again, like the Canadians have time and time again, sometimes they prove me right, sometimes they prove me wrong. So this year, again, they're going to have to prove me wrong when I say when they are not going to make the playoffs. Like on the Nick Suzuki note, um, I'd argue that he already was Montreal's first line center last season. At least in the playoffs, 100%, he had the most minutes. Oh, even, uh, even, of all year, even year round, like, like the, the, the chemistry yeah. he was forming with Tyler Toffoli was just bar none. I, I feel like the loss of Phil Deneau is less about losing a first line center because I, I don't think he was Montreal's first line center. And he certainly won't be the first line center in LA. It's more about the loss of that role, that, that insulating role to, that frees Suzuki up for those offensive minutes. So even though Suzuki was the first line center, he wasn't necessarily having the most difficult matchups. Uh, and we saw like in the Tampa Bay series, uh, John Cooper did a, did a great job when Tampa was at home of uh, matching the Braden point line to the, Nick Suzuki, to the Suzuki line. And that didn't turn out great for the first two games. So I think, I think it's more important of finding a center uh, either like, within the organization or from outside to take on not not necessarily the Phil Deneau role, but but like the Phil Deneau defensive minutes and defensive faceoffs. So Jake Evans is the only person in the organization that I think can take on that role this season. And but you can also look outside and bring someone in, like uh, Tyler Bozak could be an option because he's like a fifty five percent faceoff guy. So you can send them out like just to win the important draws that. Deneau did because like I love Suzuki I love Kakamiyami I love Evans none of them are on the level of Deneau in terms of face-offs and you saw how much face-offs hurt Montreal especially in the Vegas series yeah yeah that was painful to watch and a lot of those even came against Deneau and even he couldn't like win all of them obviously and like I know face-offs are I, I do think are a bit overrated but at the same time you can't have a team go 40% in the face-off top and right now the team would, I think. So okay. So before before I, I I send it to somebody else, I just Sebastian, can you just elaborate just a little bit on that? You know, you say you just said you think faceoffs are a little overrated, but we can't have a forty percent win ratio either. So I mean, what do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by, by faceoffs are overrated? Okay, what I mean by that is that like I think that uh, the importance put on being over 50% is overrated. I don't think there's a real difference between a 52 and a 48% face-off guy. If you win around half, I think it's fine. If as a collective, you're, you're consistently losing like 60% of the draws, it also gives opposition the opportunity to really like develop set plays uh, and use them uh, on like defensive zone face-offs. So exactly what, what Vegas did against Montreal. True, yeah. but I, I, let, me, let, me, let me interrupt you though. The you're you got game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. You are in the offensive zone, you're down by one. There's 15 seconds left. You pulled your goalie. You're gonna you're you're telling me that it doesn't matter who takes the face off. I'm not saying it doesn't matter who takes it. I'm saying that if you look at the grand scope of a season, right? And like the, the like the minute differences between like because like what Phil knows like what a 53 54% face off guy, like Scott, if you can. Look up. Hell, get that up, sure. Yeah, because like he he he's not like the most dominant faceoff guy in the league. He mm. just like takes the most faceoffs in the league. He, uh, at least he did with Montreal. And I, yeah, I I, I think it would be good to have an insulating okay. player on like the third or fourth line that can get those important draws. But I don't think that uh, relying on Suzuki and Kakamiyami for a lot of faceoffs in the season. And then going like forty five percent is going to be the end of the world. Well, I think like I, I agree with you there, Sebastian, on your point about that stuff a bit. And I will say that going back to what you said, Dano is a fifty four percent or fifty three point eight uh, to be specific face off percent guy over his career in Montreal, which is pretty solid numbers to say the least. And I feel like actually one of the guys who's been the most impacted by this whole Dano departure thing is Cedric Paquette because people have given kind of comparing. Paquette to Deneau in terms of, oh, Montreal brought in Paquette to replace him, which just isn't the case in my own opinion. I think Cedric Paquette is a perfectly serviceable, like if you Google fourth line center in, in the dictionary, you'll find a big picture of Cedric Paquette. <laughs> standard as yeah, they yeah, come yeah. when it comes to just Absolutely. finding a guy like that. And I feel like while losing, the thing about Philip Deneau that just 
a lot of people will mention is that in the playoffs, Montreal saw a very different Philip Deneau as compared to what they had seen in previous seasons. Deneau was probably at the top of his game defensively and managed to stop star players in a way that he had never done before. He completely silenced Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner in the Leafs series. You can say not single-handedly, but still, he was he had a major impact in silencing those players. Over an 82-game schedule for late next season, who's Deneau if he'd be able to replicate that? We're, uh, we could talk about Deneau for the rest of the evening and, and, and whatnot, but the point here is that we're getting up, ganging up on our friend, uh, Mr. Laradi here. Um, Josh, as a matter of fact, I know you're, you're a fan of the, of the Mike Hoffman signature. Um, you had mentioned that, you know, he is an upgrade on Tatar and I know you wanted to explain why and everything, but your take, I mean, what do you think? Are the Habs making the playoffs or not? Just be straight up with me. It's going to be tough. I think it's going to be close, but I, they definitely got a chance. And I think they got a better chance than last year simply from two factors that they didn't have on the team last year, well, most of last year, which is Mike Hoffman and Cole Caulfield. And I think where you're really going to see that shine is the new power play that they're going to put together. I think yeah. we're going to be done with the days of – oh, we lost in a shootout or overtime or one goal if only one of our four power plays converted. They've, we've got a scary-looking power play if they could cl- make it click together. you got Toffoli, Hoffman, and Caulfield, who are all just going to score goals. And even Caulfield, if you look at his the series winner against Winnipeg, he could dish it out pretty good. And then you got the true double threat and Nick Suzuki who could shoot the puck from the dots and score as he did multiple times last year and pass great it's hard to cover him and then Jeff Petrie at the line who can skate shoot pass he could do it all it's going to be really tough for teams to really stop that and I think that's going to add another five wins possibly into the year that was also the reason why they signed mike hoffman in the first place correct like the the Mm -hmm. fact that he's he's basically a power play specialist and uh today we found out that um uh thomas tatar signed with uh the new jersey devils on a two-year deal worth nine million so the same aav as mike hoffman on a year less so a lot of pe- people are saying, well, there's similar players in there and whatnot, but you, you don't think so, right? You're, you're saying that Hoffman is actually an upgrade. He's an upgrade in certain areas. Like he's got one of the best shots in the league just for his ability to beat goalies. And he's great on the power play, which is where Montreal really needs it. Tatar is not really a power play guy. He never played too much on the power play and impacted very much that I can remember in Montreal. But he also helps with the with the playoffs. Tatar is completely invisible. I don't know if anyone really noticed that he was gone for most of the playoffs this year because he ended up with, I think, one point this year. Has he ever showed up in the playoffs, even in Detroit or Vegas, oh, for that matter? I mean, like, like, no. Exactly. He was benched when he was in Vegas for crying out loud. Well, the thing, like, the thing that's funny about Tatar actually with Vegas is that he, not only was he benched in Vegas, he played underneath Gerald Gallant, who is a head coach who is was who has always not particularly been a fan of guys like Tatar, who, when the game steps up, just get overly soft. Gallant has always been kind of a Terry Crisp, work your butt off, you get playing time kind of coach. So Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- and I think we, we're starting to see a, a similar form, uh, formula with Dom Ducharme as well, um, which is something we're, we're going to cover at, at some point. But, um, Elias, you're starting to be ganged up, buddy. I mean, like, the, the general consensus is that the, the power play – is a lot better. And this is a league where your special units will win a hockey game for you. It's no longer just one guy who's going to, you know, win the whole thing now. I mean, it's a collective uh, effort. And, you know, and I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm not worried at all at the, at the fact that Shea Weber is no, is not with us because he wasn't that big a factor on the, on the penalty kill to begin with, you know, and even with Daniel, because, you know, you had guys like Evans who did a great job. Lekkonen did a great job. Uh, Suzuki was, was showing a lot of, a lot of effort as well. And, you know, the uh, $10.5 million question <laughs> was Carey Price, whether he can stay healthy or not. Who get, who gives a damn if he can stay healthy or not? we got Jake Allen as a backup for like what, two and a half million. I think now he actually, took, he actually took a pay cut to stay in Montreal. So, yeah, thank you. So, Elias, 
I don't know, man. This doesn't look like a team who's going to miss the playoffs that easily. Well, I think also um, a big factor that has plagued Montreal a lot is uh, consistency. And, like, if they want to make the playoffs, they're going to have to have consistent, like, 20-goal scores. Like, Toffoli's going to have to score 25 goals. Hoffman's going to have to score 25 goals. Caulfield, you know, he might have a big season. We never know. Nick Suzuki's going to have a big season. We've seen spells of these of what they do where they score maybe, like, 10, 15 goals in, like, a short span. And for, like, 10, 15 games, they, they, they disappear. So, really, it's also another factor. They need to be consistent goal scorers, like, like every game they should be scoring consistently. That's what I feel as well. Because, again, one of the problems that was playing in Montreal was lack of scoring and, you know, they're losing these one-goal games and, you know, OT shootout. They're going to need to be super consistent again. An 82-game season, you know, the, the toughest division in the NHL, the Atlantic. Yeah, okay. I, I do agree on... Uh, and Scott, I'll 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 uh, I'll send I'll send it over to you right after. I do agree on the fact that the Atlantic is going to be, you know, from top to bottom, it's going to be a tough division. I mean, even the Ottawa Senators, for that matter, like might actually cause a surprise and be a little bit closer to the playoffs than we expected. I mean, Florida, that's you know, Joel Canville is Joel Canville. Let's give the guy his due. He's one of the he's one of the best coaches in the in the league, bar none. Uh, Tampa Bay. Even with, you know, the loss of Savard and Gord, um, you know, they still have the best goalie in the world in Andre Vasilevsky. And Nikita Kucherov can still score 50 goals if he wants to. Um, you know, uh, Boston will always remain, you know, a tough, te- a tough team to face and whatnot. But, uh, Scott, I mean, what, what, do you th- what do you think, like, is missing? Are we missing something on this team that... Um, will really send this team like over over the edge and be like all right you know what like 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 uh, I'm just I'm just spitballing here like there was a lot of rumors with Jack Eichel for example and stuff like that I mean do we need that kind of you know sentiment to come in and being like all right cool now we're forced to reckon with now we'll we'll make the playoffs and that's the and that's the end of the discussion what do you think plus the argument nowadays in the NHL is do you need that big star that really pushed your team over the edge and in some cases yes and in some cases no there have been there were teams last season who played really 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 well in spite of not having any true breakout players. I mean, going back to what you said about Joel Quenville, while well, Florida Panthers had some guys who were breakout stars, then you have guys like Mason Marchment. And I mean, who can forget Ryan Lomberg, who gave Florida probably the biggest playoff goal they've seen in, since 1996 in that in-game, sending, sending the series against Tampa to game six in overtime. And I feel like Montreal can play into that similar mindset where they don't necessarily need a big time star player to make the playoffs because if they abide by the same formula that worked for them in the postseason, which was, you know, playing as a team and swallowing up chances defensively and getting those occasional goals offensively, I feel like they can be a force to be reckoned with. They have an offense that is very well balanced. It's missing, obviously, some defensive pieces like to know, but you have Mike Hoffman and Tyler Toffoli on opposite circles on the power play, and then you can have some defensemen on the options too. I mean, Weber's gone, but maybe a guy like Chris Weidman could step in and be a sort of offensive option from the point game, limited minutes. That worked really well with Marc-Andre Bergeron in 2010. Even though he saw very little ice time, he was effective when called upon. And I feel like Montreal just has enough guys on their roster where they can definitely fight for a playoff spot. And in my mind, this team isn't too dissimilar from 2018-19, who fell, who fell two points short of a playoff spot. So honestly, I think sky's the limit for this team. I'm just excited to see all these new guys who they acquired come through. All right, so now that's four against one, Elias, by the way. And you know what? I think we're about to make it five against one because Sam, the man, Mendelssohn, has joined us. Welcome, Sam. Hey, guys. How are you? Very hey. good, man. Don't worry about it. It's, I'm really, really happy you got to join us. Sam, uh, we're going to do a quick recap here because I know everyone who's listening is probably like scratching their head, pulling their hair, dyeing their beard. Like, like, I need a break from this. What are they talking about? So. Elias started the show saying the Canadians are not making the playoffs. He's saying that we lost a no. That's it. We're screwed. We don't have a number one center. Uh, you know, outside of Suzuki, we got nothing. Now, you know, we, there's been a lot of debate saying, hey, our power play has gone better because of Mike Hoffman. You know, our defense is still going to be really uh, a really tough team to, to face. Um, you know what? I'm really curious to know what you think. Are the Canadians making the playoffs? Well, uh, sorry, Elias, I'm going to make it 5-1. I'm going to say yes, because firstly, uh, I'm going to let everyone know that whatever Maria writes, Maria, it, it just happens. So if you read Maria's article the other day on uh, on a winning habit, you'll see that she 
had Montreal in third, Tampa Bay in second. I said to Maria, I said, you have Tampa Bay and Montreal in the first round? She goes, yeah, I, I think I do. I guess so. And, you know, it, it's you could take it both ways. I honestly think that Montreal, if, you, if you're a soccer fan, you understand the group of death. Well, they, they might be in the division of death this year because I think Ottawa is going to start creeping up on people. I think that they're going to, you know, be a much better team than they were. And you saw, you certainly saw some glimpses of that near the end with Stutzel and Connor Brown and, and Matt Murray had some really great games. Uh, you look at the rest of the division and Florida's a playoff team. Toronto was a playoff team. Montreal was a playoff team, Tampa Bay and Boston and outside Detroit, which I think we can all agree on this panel that they're probably the worst team in the league. Everyone legitimately has a chance. Maybe Ottawa is a little bit on the outskirts as well, but everyone has a chance. And, and at the max, you know, I, I just don't think every team in the division is going to make the playoffs, let alone, you know, more than three. So what, what does Montreal have that the other teams do? And, and, and someone's probably already said, it, but I'll, I'll say two words, carry price. And we know what a healthy carry price will do when the time is right. I mean, thank goodness MB, Mark Bergevin, played the wild card of wild cards and said, hey, we're going to keep Jake Allen on our expansion roster. Carey Price, Seattle, you really want him? He's got injuries. You'll never see him play. He's got a max contract. He's old, all these things. So Seattle stepped back. Oh, by the way, Carey Price, he'll be ready for uh, for game one. And, and what a bluff, huh? What a bluff. I mean, talk <laughs> about Daniel Negron, who shout out to the greatest <laughs> poker player of all time. You know, this guy, he, he read the other team's hand. He read Seattle's hand and said, I'm guaranteeing you that Seattle, that you will not take care of Price. And I think at the end of the day, as someone who played goalie in hockey, but who watches the game of hockey, Scott just mentioned Andre Vasilevsky, probably the number one goal in the league. Price ain't that far behind. I know we came short of the Stanley Cups, uh, sorry, winning the Stanley Cup, uh, singular, not plural, but this is a team that, even without the, the the big presence of Shea Weber, this is a team that grew so much. I mean, I, I looked at Nick Suzuki from the beginning of last season to where he finished in the, in the Stanley Cup game five, and I thought this guy is arguably in the conversation to be next year among the top five centers in the league. And for that reason, I think that the argument that they don't have a number one center, I mean, you look at St. Louis a couple of years ago, who was their number one center? Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly. He's, he's their number, he's the number one center in, in, in hockey. Probably not. Would you say he's in the top 10, maybe 15? I don't even know if that's even the case, but they were built well enough with a good goalie from the back out. Montreal, they added another guy in Savard that, that Scott mentioned and probably a couple other people touched up on. They built that defense. I love what Romanov's doing. I'm excited to see his growth. You know, Wyman comes in with some experience from the KHL in which he lit it up from an offensive standpoint. So I think they've added the right pieces. So do they win the Stanley Cup? That's a whole different conversation. But I think to make the playoffs, I think... <laughs> To be honest with you guys, and I'm not being biased here, I think they're better than Toronto. And if that's the case, then there's, oh. maybe, there, there's maybe one team, two teams out there that's better than them, guaranteeing them a spot in the division. You know, I love what Floor is doing, but if Spencer Knight's not the goalie midway through the season, then they've got a big problem. You know, Tampa Bay, they're the cream of the cop. So there's obviously no arguing there. But outside of that, Boston took some big hits. You know, they're not the same team. I, anyone know who their goalie is? Because I just Googled it before I came on to this panel. It's Linus Allmark. It's not Halak. He's actually really good. It's Jack He Swayman. did well in Buffalo. He did well. Okay. To, to do well in Buffalo, you have to be good at something, <laughs> right? It's the Buffalo team. No defense he did well. He did Buffalo team in Buffalo. He did Sebastian. He <laughs> was Boston gave him $5 million for the yeah. season. Like, I feel like that's a huge overpayment on Linus Allmark. He did okay. well in Buffalo. What do you mean? <laughs> Give the man 10. He did well okay, in Buffalo okay. Team that okay. Michael Hauser. <laughs> okay, let's settle down. This is a Canadians battle, not a Sabres bashing battle. We got all season to, to mock the Sabres. Now, Elias, dude, you're, you're you're screwed, buddy. I'm sorry to say it. I'm I'm, I'm gonna say it directly. You, like you, you've been beaten five to one. No one thinks the Habs will not make the playoffs. I mean, the argument for the power play has been given, the PK as well. Now, uh, Sam joins us and says, hey, we got Carey Price. Even after I said that it doesn't matter if we have Carey Price because we've got Jake Allen as probably the best backup in the league. The argument for the, for the center doesn't seem to bother anyone because we've got like, what, five or six people that are, that are aiming for a, a spot. So it seems that the general consensus is that this is going to be a team that's going to be winning by committee. 
It's going to depend on the games. It's going to depend on the matchups. Obviously, you know, the coaching staff is going to have a huge job at task to really manipulate their lines as much as possible every single game. So, you know what? For the final minutes of this segment, before we move on to something else, Elias, last chance, buddy. Do or die. I mean, try and convince us, you know, why this is not happening again this year. Okay, I'm going to go back to a segment that I wrote in my article. I'm actually comparing them to the Ottawa Senators. If you actually compared the Ottawa Senators' second half of their season to the one in Montreal, Ottawa Senators actually had a better second half of the season. They actually got more points in the second half than Montreal did. So when the worst... So what? So what? The, the fact of the matter team... is, is that on paper, Montreal is a better team. They made the playoffs. They went to the Stanley Cup Finals. But and Ottawa is, or is, in, is, 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 is in rebuild. You the game can't is compare Ottawa to Montreal, man. The game is on the ice. It's not on paper. Oh, you know what, man? I'm about to take this game to the street with you. Elias Lorati, thank you very much. This is an amazing segment. We're going to move on to something else. Now we're going to join Sebastian High and Scott Cowan, our prospect heroes. I think, man, that's actually a really good nickname for you guys. Prospect heroes. That's that's dope. I think I think we should start every segment like that. Prospect heroes. Like that. <laughs> that's amazing. All right, guys. Um, you guys have a lot to talk about as well in regards to the uh, Laval Rockets. Uh, again, there's been a flurry of signatures. Um, a very interesting team is being put on paper, um, you know, consisting of a lot of AHL veterans in quotation as well. Um, also, a brand new coaching staff. Has, um, is behind the bit, replacing Joel Bouchard, Alex Burroughs, etc. Uh, Burroughs, by the way, who's going to be back behind the Montreal bench for the next three years. Um, I want to start with something a little more, a little weird. Uh, and I know, I know you guys see this coming because, like, we've the question mark has been thrown around left, right, and center. Uh, can we talk about Michael McNiven requesting arbitration? What's up with that? Like, why would an AHL player go to arbitration? Michael McNiven is one special case for the Canes organization, not because necessarily of who he is as a player. McNiven has been through the ringer in Montreal, to say the least, and this organization has put him all over the map. They have, they've always struggled to find a place for him in their organization, and things finally seem to be working out a little bit better. But to be honest, I was just as shocked as anyone else was when he announced that he was filing for arbitration because as for people who might, most people in the Canadians, uh, most Canadians fans should be aware of who McNiven is. He's played for Laval for the past couple of seasons. He started playing with the team back in uh, 2017 and he's been there ever since. And I think the thing that is important to consider regarding McNiven is that he had to fight like always to get a start in Laval's crease last year because Laval was kind of juggling a four goalie system with Vasily Demchenko, Charlie Lindgren, uh, Kaden Primo, and McNiven. And eventually him and Primo won out in the end. It was still a battle though. And I feel like McNiven, a reason why he could be found for arbitration is maybe because he sees a better deal elsewhere in Europe, or maybe he wants to move over to a league like Germany in the DEL and get a chance as a starting goalie there. That's my best bet, honestly, for the time being. But does that kind of write him off right away as an NHL prospect? No, I think McNiffin is. I think Michael McNiffin is a very talented AHL starting goalie. He's never making the NHL. That's my own personal opinion, and I don't mean to sound sort of how would you say uh, very direct and to the point with that. But I negative, maybe. Yeah, negative. <laughs> I just don't feel like McNiffin really has that NHL potential in him. He was a very talented goalie in the OHL with the Owen Sound attack, but I feel like his ceiling. We've seen it by this point. Yeah, I kind of. I kind of agree on that. I think McNiven um, relies a little bit too much on his athletic ability and less his ability to read the play to really make the NHL. But I, I mean, I, I hope he proves us wrong. Um, I just, I'm, I'm very confused by him filing for arbitration because he's played 71 NHL games, uh, AHL. He's played zero NHL games, but 71 AHL games. And he, his save percentage is an eight, nine, five. I don't, I don't see how an arbitrator could give him any more money than any typical AHL deal. And I don't really see why Bergevin would like let him go to arbitration. It, it was just a bit weird. I mean, I, I know Laval also has a uh, Poulain in goal now too. So they don't really need McNiven. Like they, they have Primo who's obviously going to be the starter. And with Poulain who has NHL experience and is Quebecois, he seems to be the backup. So I I don't think McNiven is really going to stick around in the organization for very long. But yeah, like I don't I don't know. So uh, the 
the other big news coming in, out of Laval was the um, the entire change of coaching staff. Um, now, this um, you know, obviously with the the shocking, not shocking departure of Joël Bouchard, call it what you want. Um, Laval went ahead and, and hired Jean-François Hull, sorry, Jean-François Hull as their head coach. Martin Laparrière is going to be their assistant. Uh, former right winger Kelly Butchberger, I'm sure maybe Sam uh, might remember him from his days in uh, in Edmonton. Um, and um, Marco Marciano is also coming back as the goaltending coach, uh, whom we've seen help out uh, with Montreal at the end of last year. What do you guys... Um, what do you guys know about these guys? Um, I mean, like for the for, for the people out there, that these are names that are not necessarily aside maybe from Butchberger for the really really hardcore hockey fans of a certain age. Um, I mean, who are these guys? Are they going to be making an impact? What should we expect? I mean, what's your what's your take on these hirings? I thought the situation with Joe Bouchard is definitely one that a lot of people didn't really want to see happen because Bouchard has been unbelievably useful to the Rocket, and he's probably been the best head coach Montreal's affiliates have seen since the days of Don Lever with the Hamilton Bulldogs when they went when they won a Calder Cup all the way back in 2006. Bouchard put a system into Laval which just rewarded guys for working hard and coming to the ice every night with the same intensity which is why guys like sort of how going back to past seasons guys like Hunter Shinkaruk and guys like Guys like that, floaters like that, were typically got lesser ice time and eventually were just healthy scratches altogether. And I feel like I hopefully that Laval will be trying to push a similar mindset with their new head coaches. Definitely Buckberger brings a veteranosity and sort of an experience to Laval, which will be very helpful. He's played for some really bad teams in his career. He was the first ever captain of the Atlanta Frashers in their initial season. So Woo-hoo! I think Buck, yeah. <laughs> shout out Atlanta. I think Buckberger kind of knows how to deal with lesser rosters like that. And especially with Laval having a roster with a lot of AHL contracted guys, a lot of these guys on the team are coming here with something to prove. They want to get an NHL deal or they want to get more pay somewhere else. So they're looking overseas. So I definitely feel like this will be a hungry team. And I'm definitely hopeful that this coaching staff can match what Bouchard brought in terms of just rewarding hard work and just allowing guys opportunities. Sebastian, give me your take on the, um, on the, the new coaches. And while you're in that same breath, once you're done, Let's talk about this new roster because, yeah, there's definitely a lot of guys who have a lot to prove as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, like Scott's the AHL uh, expert among the two of us, but um, I mean, Ool is a really interesting. Yeah, but you guys um, are the prospect heroes. That's a duo. That's that's plural. So okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm more of a of a junior guy, but hey, um, <laughs> like Ool, I think is a really interesting one because he he was, he was an assistant coach in the AHL for like. What, five or six seasons like he, he, he's really been like a, a staple behind an AHL bench for a long time so he he has that experience and I'm yeah like like, like losing Bouchard is it, it it hurts from a result standpoint from a like uh, a, a team like 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 not philosophy but um, like chemistry and just how the team itself works. Whatnot, so, yeah. I don't know what the impact of that is because Bouchard has had a lot of mixed reviews to, to put it lightly. Like uh, players like Jake Evans loved him. And if you know Jake Evans, he's like the hardest working guy you're ever going to see ever in the NHL. Um, but like Dale Weiss has been very prominent in his flaming of Bouchard. Which, again, you, you can definitely take with grains of salt because this is, is an established NHL player that probably isn't very happy playing in the, NHL, in the AHL. Or is working this, very hard at the AHL, I add. Or that, right? You, you, don't, you don't know. And, um, like, like, Wies came out and, and publicly, publicly said that, like, Bouchard was, like, extremely tough on guys like Ryan Paling. And that that was also part of the reason that Paling just struggled so much in his first year in Laval. Um, and yeah, so I, I, I don't, I don't know how it's going to be from a, a, like team chemistry standpoint, but I, I, I think from a results standpoint, it'll be very difficult for any coaching staff to get more out of their players than what Bouchard was doing at the same time, uh, just transitioning this into the, the Laval lineup. Yeah, go for it. I, th- I think the lineup's just objectively better than it was last season. And this, despite, uh, losing like some very key players like Yannick Veilleur, who, like went from a like a fourth liner in the AHL and ECHL player to being a like borderline dominant force in the AHL, and he's now off to Europe. And despite losing a key player like that, 
um, like Laval and uh, has just really like bolstered their lineup. Like they've added guys like Gabriel Bourque on HL contract. They've added um, like uh, Jean-Sébastien D. Um, they still have Belzé, Vedemo, Dauphin, Teasdale, Paling, Harvey Pinard. Which Ronan. is funny because you're mentioning like Bourque, you're mentioning uh, Paling, you're mentioning Dauphin, you're even Jean-Sébastien D. These are all guys who could play on a fourth line on exactly. most teams. Exactly. Like it's, it's going to be a really stacked AHL team. And that, that, that there's just like the forward core on defense. They added uh, Louis Belpedio who has NHL pedigree. Uh, like, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like I'm like one player. I'm really interested to see if he even gets a role in the AHL. Like I, I'm going to assume he's going to play most of the season in Trois-Rivières, but that's uh, Cédric Desruisseaux. He, mm. he's a fun one. He's a really fun. I will, I will agree with you on that, Sebastian. Uh, Desirso is a player who, when he was picked up, I didn't know a whole lot about. Then I saw his numbers, and then I saw the story behind him and sort of everything that's come with. And yeah, he's a very, very interesting prospect. I think a really good point to mention with Laval is that they have a lot of AHL contracted guys. And while most people probably aren't aware of this, the Rockets have had experience with AHL contracted guys for all of their first three seasons, from their first season under Sylvain Lefebvre to their second season of Joe Bouchard to the season before that to this season, etc. The thing about the Rocket that they struggled with early on was that Montreal in 2018-19 and 2019-20 dealt with mid-season collapses that caused them to call up guys from Laval or trade guys from Laval and just sort of swap around the roster, which naturally completely depleted Laval's roster. So... For a little anecdote here, I went to a Laval Rocket game in 2017-18 and 2018-19, and the player on the front of the Laval Rocket media guide was Alex Kyle, who is currently in the ECHL. And yeah, I, th- I think the, the, I think the silence actually just like... Yeah, hmm? that's that's a point into <laughs> just talking about how the Rocket used to be. Yeah, But in signing guys like Danik Martel and signing guys like Gabriel Bork, these aren't just guys who are who played really well in the ECHL and are given AHL opportunities to guys, with guys like Joe Cox. These are players that have proven pedigrees at, at the AHL level and also are just going to be really solid contributors right off the bat. In my own opinion, and had enough in for Xavier Ouellette returning, I think Gabriel Bork could have been the Laval Rockets captain right off the bat. Bork, is a very, Bork was a very, very talented player for, for the National Predators, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Winnipeg Jets at the NHL level. And while his offense never really showcased, he's a dynamic two-way player at the AHL level. He's a and hard worker, man. Like For sure. Absolutely. And also going back to what I said about Martel, he's a he's a two-time 40-point player in the AHL who's now playing on a second consecutive AHL deal. So I feel like if Montreal, if Montreal, if Laval runs with these kind of guys in their roster, it'll definitely set an interesting precedent for an AHL team that just hasn't been seen in a while. What do you guys think the the actual plan, if there is a plan behind these signatures are? Is it just say, okay, you know what, we need to stack this team, you know, just give it a good little run. Uh you know, like put on a good show for us, for example, right? Or because I'm looking at guys like Bourke, I'm looking at guys, you know, again, Dauphin, Paling, uh, even Harvey, Harvey Pinard to, to, to a certain degree, um, or anybody else who, who can make um, a surprise. Even though the Canadians are stacked on the bottom six, you know, and we're going to be talking about this later on in the show, we're going to be talking about the Montreal fourth line and the, the huge logjam. I'm of the opinion that I think that Bergevin had a plan behind this and being like, you know what? I've got a bunch of players who are hungry and they're going to be chasing the NHL dream like a dog on a bone, you know, and they're going to be working, you know, their hinds off and they're going to be, you know what? Like I got a chance of going up there because I want to be the first one to be called up if there's an injury or I want to prove it during training camp or whatever. Do you think maybe that's the, the overall goal when they were hiring these, these players? I think it goes two ways in regard to that because one of the uh, important things to mention regarding a lot of the guys in Montreal sign is that they're also looking to get a great story out of it because there's been the argument made many times that the Canadians don't have enough uh, Quebec-born players on this team. They don't have enough local players. Philip Deneau was their only player last season who was truly from this area. And I feel like in signing all these guys who are from around this area, guys who went to the University of Trois-Rivières, guys who are from Trois-Rivières, guys who are from Montreal and Laval, they're trying to produce these local-born players to root for on the Canadians' minor league rosters because they don't want to risk signing a guy to the Canadians' roster who, while he's a great story and while he's a homegrown player, sort of can bog down the overall roster. Now, going back to what you said about the Canadians signing these guys to be hungry and fight for a roster spot. There are a few guys in the Laval Rocket roster who I think could do that. 
one guy that I've talked about previously is Justin Mishane D. And I feel like while he sort of has been given the short end of the stick in terms of his NHL opportunities, this is a guy who published on his Instagram that he's super excited to come here. He's been a Canadian since he was young. And he's sort of a Joseph Blandisi type, if you want to think about a guy who played for Laval last season, where he's bounced around the NHL rosters. And he's always a guy who has a chance to make the NHL any season. He always has a chance to make an NHL roster, whether he will or not remains to be seen. But I definitely feel like out of all the guys that the Montreal signed, I think D is at the front runner to become a potential part of the Canadians roster. Yeah, and just as a follow-up to that, my my player for that slot is actually a really uh, like maybe under-the-radar guy, someone most people might not look to immediately as a candidate to play any AHL, uh, NHL games this season, and that would be Corey Schooneman. He He was really great last season in Laval. Like, Really, really, really great. He's he's a phenomenal skater, and he has that. He has a bit of dynamic offensive ability that very few players in Montreal have. I totally agree with that because he would he would bring a very different look to a Montreal defensive core. So if if Montreal is going through a rut and they just need to shake some things up and they want to bring in a defenseman who can uh, dominate in transition and also play a bit on the power play. I think Schoenman would be a very interesting one. And he was so good, uh, like, last season. Like he barely even, like, made the Laval roster at a yeah. training camp. And then he cemented himself as a top-pairing guy and earned himself an NHL contract. So he's one set. I'd look at. But yeah. I had the like, had experience with these guys before, with Joel Hanley and Ryan Johnson. So exactly. they're no stranger to giving these sort of smaller, faster guys chances. Yeah. All right. So to wrap this segment up, guys, uh, just real quick, I'm seeing Elias jump in his chair. I'm seeing Josh, who's been holding it, and he's like, "Oh man, I want to say something. I want to say something." Elias, uh, you um, you look like you look like a guy who wants to talk about Shenman. Go ahead. Yeah, actually, I just want to make a quick, quick, quick two second comment. I was actually watching. Um, you remember that game when Perry Price and Brennan Gallagher did that uh, HL conditioning stint at the Bell of Center? Of course. Yeah. Who so doesn't that, remember that? It, I think it was the highest uh, TV-rated AHL game in history. So basically, I was actually I actually watched the game from start to finish, and that literally was the player that literally stuck out to me, like all over the ice. This guy was probably the best player on both teams, like on the ice. He, he's really skilled, and I really see him as someone for Montreal's future. Absolutely, Josh. What's up, buddy? You got, you, got, you look like you look like someone who has a question. Go for it, man. Yeah, just piggybacking off of what Sebastian and Scott, my personal prospect heroes were talking about last, was uh, Montreal has a history of bringing in guys from the training camp that really surprised to make the roster, like Victor Mete a few years ago, kind of came out of nowhere and suddenly he's playing with Shea Weber on the first pairing. Uh, Kale Fleury was a similar story, even... Yes, Barry Kotkaniemi wasn't really expected to come into the NHL right away, maybe need another year in Finland to come back. And guys like Dia are a bit older. He's 27, I think. So I'm wondering if there's any younger guys, younger prospects that you could see being that surprise Montreal Canadiens player coming out of training cap. The the guy, okay. I don't think it's likely this season purely because of um, the log gem on the fourth line, but like, I, I don't think we can really mention Ryan Paling here because he's a literal contender for roster spot this season. Like that would be a bit of a cop out here. And I think that guys like uh, Joel Teasdale and Jesse Yelonen need a bit more AHL time Teasdale because of just recovering from his, all of his injuries and Yelonen just to adapt to uh continue to, to adapt to North America. Uh, the guy I'm looking at is uh, Arvi Pinar. I, I think like he has that work ethic and that like Gallagher-esque playing style. Like he, he's not going to be a Gal. I mean, chances are he's not going to be a Gallagher ever. Like again, 30 goal scorer, play driving first line winger like Gallagher. You don't find those every day. But I think, I think Arvi Pinar could really be Gallagher light of like that same playing style, but in a depth role. Like he's he's small, but he's like he's so tenacious, so hardworking. I think he he could like see a little bit of NHL action this season. I'm gonna add on to what you said there about sort of tenacity and hard work, and I'm gonna throw in a guy who has become, in my opinion, the heart and soul of the rocket. That is Alex Belzil. The Canadians have 
have sort of developed a short kind of, how would you say, love affair with Belzil and just what he brings to Laval's roster. And after signing a one-year AHL deal with the team and do, doing what he did in that one AHL season, Montreal's just latched onto this guy, Sterling Ranafit, and it's produced one heck of a feel-good story for the Canadians. Belzil has been cut and scratched and sent down at every single level he's played at. And in spite of it all, he's worked his absolute butt off to get here. And he's a very talented two-way player with great face of ability and slight offensive upset at the same time. Montreal gave him a shot at last year's playoffs when they sort of had nothing to lose and they were in that series against uh, the Philadelphia Flyers. And while he only played two games this past season for them, I definitely feel like he's always a, cha- a shot to make the roster just because of how hard he works and how much he puts into the game. All right, Scott, Sebastian, thank you very much for that wonderful segment, guys. And now we're going to send it right back to our favorite panelist and insider. I'm sure... I'm sorry, buddy, man. You after after the the opening segment, I'm sure you have more than a few enemies out there. So now we're going to give you five minutes to really, you know, redeem yourself. Give it to us with all your your insider news and rumors. And now's the time to wow us again, good buddy. So Elias Loretti with the insider report. What do you got, bud? So actually, uh, going back to uh, Michael McNiven, um, all the hearings were uh, released today for the arbitration. His hearing is actually scheduled for August 11th. So August 11th will. Basically, now the Habs have, have until August 11th to sign him or an arbit- he's going to go to arbitration. Arbitrator will give him a contract. There actually was an article by Frank Saravalli in the Daily Faceoff talking about the projected salary cap. And I was actually reading it. Uh, they're projecting that next year it should go up to $82.5 million, And then every other year it's going to go up by one more million. And by 2026, 2027, the salary cap should be at 91.5. Um, next year, their revenue, their hockey-related revenue, is supposed to be projected at 4.8 billion. What really helped was the uh, Seattle Kraken expansion. There was also the ESPN Disney Turner Sports uh, deal for, for for next year, basically. And then also there was uh, Esprit Academy, who was qualified but still hasn't received an offer. He still hasn't been signed yet. Um, he's actually back in Finland in Pori. Uh, there was some unfortunate news this week. His father actually. Had a had a tumor removed, so I'm pretty sure like he's been dealing with that, and I'm sure that's why we haven't really heard much. Um, we wish all the best to him and his family because you know his his first coach was his dad, and you know his dad coaches in the uh, the Finnish league, so that's always our best to them. And basically, um, I was actually looking at Hab's eyes on the prize, and apparently his qualified offer for K- for uh, Karkiemi was around maybe like 900k, which I didn't I didn't really understand that. I don't know if that's legit or not because. Uh, his last contract was a two-year four, uh, $4.8 million, which had an AAV of 2.4. But again, maybe because Kakaniemi has taken a step back, he hasn't really fully developed into the player that Montreal wanted. You know, he didn't start the playoffs, and then he finally came back in, and then, you know, he was sort of better. So this year is really going to have we have to, like, see what happens. Um, the Canadians locked up Alex Burrows, you know, for behind the bench, a three-year deal. He was uh, pretty good on the power play and running the offense. He got them from a 17.9 to an 18.5 on the power play. So, again, he's going to be instrumental this year, running the power play, running the offense. And uh, Kerry Price went to go have surgery in New York. Well, uh, Paul Byron went with him. So uh, he's actually had surgery in New York. It was done by Dr. Brian Kelly. And uh, he's going to be out five months. So, I mean, like you said, probably in December. Do we have any information as to what exactly the surgery is in the the case of Byron? Uh, They just said it was a, a, a hip surgery. Oh, hip surgery. Yeah. Hip surgery, yes. Yeah, so then December at, at the very minimum. Uh, quick um, observation. You were mentioning in 26-27 the, the um, substantial raise in um, salary cap. Ironically, that coincides the with Kerry Price and Jeff Petrie's contract being over. As a matter of fact, actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to backtrack. Everyone's contract is over except for Brendan Gallagher and Josh Anderson were going to be in their final years. So uh, whoever the general manager is going to be by them is going to have a lot of money to play with. All right. Thanks a lot, Elias. No problem. And now we are going to send it over to our good friend, Joshua Rosa. Josh, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. How are you? Very, very good. This has been a quite the eventful episode, to say the very least. Now, um, I'm going to start this segment with you um, because we have been discussing a little bit uh, about this for the last couple of days. Now, we've been seeing a lot of, you know, like 
depth signatures, you know, in Cédric Paquette, Mathieu Perrault, um, you know, Ryan Paling is like, as we mentioned before, is going to be uh, really like f- fighting hard to get a spot in the in the NHL this year. Uh, we got a little bit of a log jam going on for the fourth line uh, positions, don't we? Yeah, it's going to be fun to see the uh, the training camp and see how everyone fits in because Montreal's got a problem, but it's one of those good problems that you have too many people and you have only so many slots. Like you can only take, uh, what is it, 16 wingers? No, that's not right. Um, yeah, 16 wingers per game so Montreal's gonna have to make some tough decisions the top four wingers are pretty much set and the centers are there but when we're looking at the third and fourth line there's gonna be some big questions like are we gonna have to say Cedric pack at your bags you're going down to Laval Matthew Perrault my god we don't actually have a spot for you we just signed you uh we already saw Tampa Bay carry Corey Perry away like, are we going to have to say bye, Byron? See you, Yoel Armia. Good luckin' in, in on your next team. Jo- Jonathan Drouin, what are you doing? Yeah, like, but I mean, but I mean, the the I, I think the only thing that we could actually say for sure is that you know, Joel Armia is the only one who actually is going to be you know in the lineup regularly because you cannot you know give a part time position to a guy who's making three and a half million a year. That's a given, right? Yeah, you just signed him. He's a good defensive guy as well. He plays on the penalty kill, and he's absolutely a beast there. But there's just the question of where are all of these people going to go? Like Josh Anderson's another guy who was basically a third-line winger for Montreal this year. Is he going to continue in that? He's making a lot of money, I think 5.5, something like that. Scott can make sure that on that number every year for a third line, fourth line guy, because Mike Hoffman, he's going to be in the top six with his goal scoring. Same with Gallagher, Caulfield, Toffoli. It's going to be tough to see those guys out, but it's going to be really interesting to see Ryan Paling. Is he going to be left down in Laval? He's he played great in Laval this year, but with the addition of Paquette and Perot, it's going to be hard to see him making enough of an impact to make the team. I want to give Sam the opportunity to express himself on this uh, topic. Do you, do you see a surprise maybe on the fourth line, or is it actually just going to be, you know, Lekkonen and Army on the wings and then uh, I, probably a rotation between Paquette and uh, Perot? I, I just, first of all, I like to say Perot. It's a very French way of saying Mathieu Perrault. Mathieu Perrault. Uh, I know that's how it's pronounced. I just, I, <laughs> it's all I just found it very comical. Uh, as someone who lives in Toronto, you don't hear a lot of it's Matthew Perrault. It's no Mathieu Perrault. Mathieu uh, Perrault, yeah, because ladies and gentlemen, like the, for those who don't know, yeah, we are recording this on Zoom, you know, COVID protocols and everything. We're keeping our, our distance. And we got some people from Ontario, we got husband from Ontario, you know, Sam and Josh, for example, you know. So, yes, sometimes being of a Francophone native myself, I like to say Mathieu Perrault. But go ahead, man, Met, for Matthew Perrault. <laughs> Go no ahead, worries, Patrick. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I think if you asked six or ten people, I'm just going to say six because there's six of us on here. But if you ask ten people, you get ten different answers. Uh, I'm going to give my answer, which is I think that the fourth line is going to be Arturi Lekkinen, uh, Cedric Paquette down the middle, and Jonathan Drouin. Now, hear me out, folks. I think the first line is pretty much set in stone with the Suzuki, Caulfield, Toffoli. I think the second line is Kotkaniemi, uh, Hoffman and Anderson, and then I like the third line as a grinding checking line of Evans, Gallagher, and Armia. I think those nine right there, I would have no problem with that. Then you brought up the point, Patrick, and I know Josh brought it up as well about there's just really a cluster of players vying for that last spot. First and foremost, what is this? What is the situation surrounding Jonathan Durant? Is his spot available? As we were told in the final scrum or the final interview by Bergeron after they lost game five, he is okay. And he will be back at training camp. Then you have secondly, Paul Byron, he's on the IR for five months. So, you know, at least he won't be in the lineup until midway through the season at the very earliest. 
Then you're looking down the middle. I'm a big Ryan Paling fan. I know we saw one game, but I put so much money on the Habs winning that one game. So and Ryan Paling just balled out. I have the biggest Ryan Paling. Like I'll get a jersey of him because I owe him like you won me a couple hundred bucks. I'll say it. It was very very nice watching Ryan Paling just dominate that game. I said this is the future. And, and I really think he is part of the future. I just don't know where he fits in. I think Paquette is what I would call a poor man's Philip Deneau. And the reason I say poor man is because he ain't making the Philip Deneau money that he's making over in L.A. And Paquette kind of does the same thing. He's good in his own zone. He's strong defensively. He wins faceoffs. And I think when the, you look at the coaching staff of Richardson, Ducharme, and now re-signed Alex Burrows, as Elias just mentioned, there are, te- there are guys that we go, we don't care about scoring on the fourth line. We need to shut teams down and i think paquette who's a stanley cup winner in tampa bay a couple years ago is going to show that he is going to be good for that spot you know perot kind of reminds me of that micro michael for leak role he'll step in if there's an injury or so but i, I really like Arthur Lekin. obviously scored the biggest goal in, in the last couple decades uh sending montreal to the stanley cup and, and i think if jonathan joanne is healthy he gets that final spot uh on that fourth line is it good to have a five point five million dollar player on the fourth line I think we could all agree no, but I have no idea where else he would fit in. And you have to kind of play him with that salary cap. So that's my two cents on that fourth line. I really would like to see Paling step in, but I think they're going to go with more of a proven player. And I think, you know, in terms of the depth chart of that last, you know, extra scratches, it's going to go Perot and then Paling. So whoever goes out, Perot will step in and then Ryan Paling, unless he just wows everyone at training camp. Exactly. And I was just going to mention that unless, you know, there's a huge surprise out of training camp, you know, the likes of, of, of Paley making the actual starting roster is a little more slim. I think he's mostly going to be used as an emergency backup in case of injury and whatnot. But um, quick note, and then I'm going to send it to Scott and then, and then Elias, uh, you're up after. I half agree with what you say, Sam, because the I think that um, I don't think Dwayne's going to start on the fourth line. And I don't think we're going to have those that army on the left side again with Gallagher and like, like the whole three like righties, but I don't we're going to have that with Toffoli, Caulfield and um, uh, Suzuki regardless. But I think I'm, I'm pretty confident that the fourth line will most like the wingers will more likely be Lekin and Armia playing together with a rotation of mostly between, pa- between Paquette and Perrault <laughs> as I enunciate that. But because, uh, yeah, I do agree that Cédric Paquette is a poor man's Philip Deno. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's really like obvious. However, he's a very, very, very hardworking and hard hitting player as well. His body is not made though for an 82 game uh, stretch, especially after, you know, such a hard season and everything. So I think it's going to be kind of more 50-50 between, you know, uh, Pedro and Paquette. But um, you know what? I mean, that's just one man's opinion versus another. Uh, Scott, what do you got? What do you, what do you think? What's going to happen on the fourth line, according uh, in your opinion? I'm glad we're finally bringing up Nacho Pro because I actually almost forgot to mention him over the course because uh, after we recorded last episode, right after it ended, it was announced that the Canadians had signed Pro. And I thought to myself, oh, what a great move that is. I've been a fan of Nacho Pro ever since his, his, first, his only season with the Anaheim Ducks back in 2015. And he's been of Winnipeg since the very start to where they are now as one of the sort of better teams in what you would call what used to be in the North Division or the Canadian teams that exist outside the NHL. He signed to a good term. He's a Swiss Army knife. He can play all over the lineup. And in regard to what you said about Montreal's fourth line, I think it'd be best if Montreal ran with a system where they try to give guys that maybe weren't given such ample opportunities last season opportunities. Maybe swapping in Pearl every once in a while, then maybe adding Paquette when you need more of a defensive guy on the on the fourth line, spin like that. And going back to what Sam had said since he just departed, thanks by the way for your contributions. I feel like adding Adi and Ryan Palin there could also be really interesting. Palin finally came into his own as the offensive sort of sort of showing off the offensive abilities that he hadn't really figured out quite yet at the professional level. So I feel like Montreal's really got a lot to look forward to in terms of their fourth line and a lot to sort of work with. And hey, if anything, uh, if worse comes to worse, we could do the 2018-19 Canadians route, which was call up a guy like Kenny Agostino, Michael Chaput, make that your fourth line, run with a fourth line like that, give these guys opportunities. Why so not at this point? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and maybe they can bring energy. Elias. I just want to make a quick comment on Jonathan Drouin. If you bring him back and you basically put him on the fourth line, I feel like that's just going to maybe push him back. And I, I would be pretty sure that the, me, the French media would be like, 
freaking out. Oh, they're putting Jonathan Drew on the fourth line. They're burying him. They're burying him. They're burying him. Um, I'm actually looking at the depth chart right now. Personally, I would put uh, Jake Evans out with – it's kind of hard because I'm trying to find, like, wingers, and it's, like, difficult. Like, maybe, like, you make a line, I don't know, like, Jake Evans, Perot, and, like – so hard to like figure it out exactly to be too honest with you. And then they, yeah, like, you maybe like you put them with like a lecon in or something. Yeah, but again, the, the that, that's the whole point of this discussion as well because there are so many you know opportunities. But just a quick uh comment about Jonathan Drouin and then Sebastian, I'm going to send it to you. Yeah, okay, the, the media will probably freak out, especially on the francophone side as well. But there's also been a lot of sympathy about you know his situation and the fact that he was dealing with whatever it is with that, that you know he was dealing with right now also don't forget whoever is going to be manning the right side of the third line will be making either 5.5 or 6.5 million a year that's also something that's pretty unheard of because the way that the way this team is created there's a big chance that Brendan Gallagher is going to be the guy on the third line this is a guy who's going to be making six and a half million dollars next year you know, worst case scenario, he get, he get, you know he goes on a hot streak. He takes Josh Anderson's spot on on the second line, or you know, depending or vice versa. Josh Anderson, five and a half million dollars as well. That's a lot of money for th- for third line. So I don't think that necessarily, you know, Drouet. I think he's making what five point two, I think, or something like that, or five five five. Um, I don't think this is going to be the, the the kind of team, and we've discussed this again at the beginning of the show that we should necessarily be looking at you know, paper-wise and salary and whatnot. Because, again, this is a team that's going to be built by committee. It's going to be whoever's the best is going, to, is going to play. But, you know, again, you do have a point, though, Elias, that, you know, putting Drouet on the fourth line, whether on the left side or the right side, or even the ridiculous talks, and I'm sorry, and like, I mean, no disrespect to anybody in the media who've ever come of this. I have the utmost respect for everyone because we're all in the same job. But Jonathan Duane playing center for me is an is is a no go. That's just yeah. I'm sorry, that's not happening. And Sebastian, yeah. I, I know you agree with this, right? Like I, I think that the mantra uh, that we've heard so so much recently that Montreal doesn't have like in like a like a first, second, or third or fourth line, it's never going to be more true than this upcoming season. Like like you're saying, like Gallagher on the on the third line. I think in terms of minutes, like the first three lines are going to be very similar, um, except for me the centers. I think Suzuki is going to be the number one center but apart from that all the wingers are going to be one game Gallagher's going to play more next game's going to be Anderson it's going to uh, change up I also have a uh, Dwayne penned in um on the first line at at the left wing spot I think he would be a perfect fit next to Nick Suzuki and Cole Coughlin he is a, a pure playmaker and he thrives when he's on a line with with players that are on his level in terms of hockey IQ which both Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield are. Well, we've seen it in the playoffs two years ago, against, especially against Pittsburgh, right? Like exactly. him, him and Suzuki were connecting. Man. Like, like, even, and even when we got into filling this in the second round, um, like that, yeah, that was tape to tape all the time. And there was a lot of exciting plays there. That, that much I agree with you. One of the best exactly. things to mention too is when Drew wants to be, he's the best player on the ice when he yeah. wants to be and when he puts in the When he ice. wants so, to be, exactly. I feel like that's a really good point you made, Sebastian, about connecting those two because, hey, maybe if Drew wants to sort of take the second chance he's been given in a sense and come back and perform, who knows what could happen. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I just, I just want to add one, one little thing because I just find this really funny because then we got Sam and Elliot uh, painting Drew on the fourth line. Um, Sebastian putting him on the first line. I personally am putting him on the third line in a high-energy role with Jake Evans and Brendan Gallagher. And the reason behind that is because you've got Evans and Gallagher who are going to take care of, you know, they're going to take care of traffic, they're going to take care of defense leave and everything, relieving that pressure on the left side because we've seen it in the playoffs time and time again. Even the fourth line. You know, when we had Corey Perry on the ice with Eric Stahl, um, you know, and Joel, and Joel Armia half the time, um, you always have that one guy kind of cherry picking on top all the time. You know, it's like as defensive, even 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 on the PK for that matter. Uh, Josh, if, if you want to if you want to elaborate, elaborate on this a little, a little more after um, there was always that one forward kind of cherry picking. And then, you know, we kind of dumped it and he can go. And I think Drouin could be that guy who could just cherry pick go and then just do his thing as, as well but i mean again the the discussion again was the the fourth line 
And well, what do you think? I mean, it's just one of the topic of Drouin. I mean, you're the only one who hasn't spoken up on this. Like, what do you what do you think? Like, do you think he's fourth line candidate, first line candidates? And you know, what's your take? Yeah, I think there's Montreal's built not like most other teams that have the clear first line and second line. And I think when looking at Montreal's lines, you have to kind of throw out the first line's going to be the best players and the second line's second best and try and fit the guys in where they work best with each other. Like Drouin, as you said, he plays best with high skill, high IQ guys. And I don't know, like I see the merits of putting him with a Brendan Gallagher and a Jake Evans where they get his energy going, they get his passion going, which has been lacking in the past, but they can lack the finish in the offensive IQ more Jake Evans and Brendan Gallagher to really complement his skill set. I think we're going to have to throw out the whole hierarchy of first, second, third, fourth. And it may be Drew ends on the fourth line in quotes, but it's, it would be the best. We'd have to find the two best guys to complement him rather than, first line second line scott final 60 seconds what do you think i agree with what uh joshua said about sort of the habs not having a true first second third line and i think that's actually to their advantage to be able to just run four lines that are all equally effective all get the same amount of playing time and going back to what i said about Jermaine, i just want to sort of i think it's important that we take a step back really quick and just sort of reflect on who jonathan dream is where he's come from and what his stock is he was a former third overall pick he was a dominant player in the QJHL. When he wants to be, like I said, Duran is one of the best players on the ice. And in my opinion, when Duran's at the top of his game, he's one of the most creative and most talented players in the league in terms of his passing ability and his hands and his skating and stuff like that. And while I do think that putting him on the fourth line and giving him sort of a lesser role to kind of let him get back into the swing of things and not have to deal with the heavy expectations would be a good idea. I'm also on the same side willing to put him on the first line to give him a chance to really prove himself and be that third overall pick and be that top player that Montreal still hasn't seen from him and the guy that they also give away from Mikhail Sergachev all those years ago. I think we could all agree, guys, that anything could happen. I mean, this is one of the rare years where we have so much depth that line combinations are can almost be shot by a dart on the wall and just go randomly because we have not only that much talent, but we have the potential for an incredible amount of chemistry. And that's despite losing guys like Philip Deno, Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, you know, even Shea Weber for that matter, who's going to be gone for um, all in the next season. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time we have for this episode two. That flew by like crazy. I want to thank everyone, Sebastian High, Scott Cowan, Joshua Rosa, Elias Laradi, and also, of course, Sam Mendelson, who joined us for a little bit. And thank you very much, guys. That was really, really, really fun. I want to also give a quick shout out to Shane Ivers over at SilvermanSound.com for his theme song, Dirty Gertie. And we will see you next week, folks, for another episode of Puck and Roll. See ya. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.